Really, really good to be back. <laughs> you know, I'm an emotional rock, and so Abby and I, we're back, we're back there. We're back there trying to sing, and both of us are just busted up. We can't even get through it. Um, we look forward to next week being able to share with you guys everything that we saw and smelled and experienced. Like, we're going to try to give you the best picture that we can next week with everybody that went. Um, several of them could not get out of bed this morning. Those of you that did make it and are here this morning, thank you. Um, but if you didn't, I would have completely understood. We got into GSP last night about 11 and so got home well after that. Uh, and it was a full seven days nonstop. And I will, I will honestly say that in every possible regard, positive and negative, we were not ready for what, what went on last week in, in the good ways. Um, but man, this morning, uh, kind of a mentor of mine, Cliff Marshall, is here. Uh, I've, I've mentioned it before that I have like three phone numbers on my phone. Um, that's generally where you keep phone numbers. Um, of like just, just incredibly wise people. And when stuff is going crazy or life is just, you know, just derailing itself, uh, probably the first person I generally call or text is this guy right here. And Cliff now, years ago when he came and, and um, preached for us and, and taught for us, he was kind of our upstate church planting coordinator. Since then, he's moved into the role of the team leader for all of South Carolina for church planting. Um, and he's a good dude. I don't want to pump him up before he gets up here, you know, just in case things go bad. Um, but, but amazing wisdom in this guy, and uh, we're grateful that he will come in and, uh, and just kind of share with us this morning. And uh, I'm just excited just to sit and, uh, and also to have words on the screen that I know what they mean uh, when we read them is really nice, too. Um, and there's a lot of things I'm grateful for this morning. But we want to say this. If you uh, prayed for us, if you financially supported the trip, if you did anything, you have to know. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got. Amazing. Well worth every single prayer, every dollar, everything that was put into it. Entirely worth it. Be here next week. Uh, if, if there are people that you uh, don't see this morning that couldn't make it today, invite them. Tell them they need to be here. Uh, if you know people that gave, that do not come to Origins, invite them next week. Uh, if they played a part at all, if you had people play golf with you um, that helped us with the golf tournament to raise money, invite them. If they had any connection to what we got to do last week, invite them. We'll fill this place up just so that people can hear what God did, and did with them, but also what he did with us. It is a huge, I mean, huge, grande kind of a deal. Um, and if I say hola to you or gracias, it's going to take a couple weeks to decondition that because we just said it a lot. And so uh, thank you guys. Uh, Cliff, I'm going to pray for you. And uh, then he's going to come up and just share with us this morning. God, we're grateful uh, that you call us out of a place in which we are aliens to you. And you call us into uh, a life where we get to be children of God. And, and in that, God, you also call us into a life that we get to be family uh, with each other. And so, God, thank you for that. Thank you that family is not defined by language. It's not defined by skin color. It's not defined by anything other than uh, who our daddy is. And, God, thank you for being that. Thank you for being our Abba Father, our, our dad. Um, God, this morning we thank you for Cliff and uh, the wisdom that you have placed in him from years of experience, but also just the spirit that rests in all of those uh, who are called by your son's name. Uh, and God, we thank you that for the words that you've placed on his heart uh, and that will come out of his mouth today for us to hear. Um, I thank you for this church. Um, I thank you for the parts of our heart that we left behind this week. Uh, and God, I thank you for the rest that is to come. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Have at it. Yeah. 
Uh, Matthew, I told you I'd probably sit, but I don't think I am. Just totally just changed my mind. How y'all doing? Good to see you. So glad to be here. I love this church. I love, uh, I've been just kind of a spectator uh, and, uh, and just kind of tangentially involved from day one. And so, uh, um, yeah, y'all can look that word up later. I think you can get points on Scrabble if you can figure out how to spell it. Uh, but I uh, love this church. I uh, love your pastor. One of the things I want to encourage you to do, I encourage everywhere I, when I get an opportunity to go preach somewhere, uh, I encourage the, the congregations that I talk to to pray for their pastors. And I want to encourage you to do that. Pray for Matthew uh, every day uh, at, or as often as the Lord brings him to your mind. Pray for Abby. There's a great weight in pastoring a church. And uh, these guys uh, that are doing that, they need your prayer. There's things that <clears throat> he wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about that chances are most of you don't think about unless you're here on Sunday and then you come back the next Sunday, you might think about it again. He carries that all the time. So I would encourage you to, to pray for your pastor. I love what y'all are doing. I love where you're doing it. I love this city. I've been uh, living in Greenville County now for uh, 25 years. This has uh, become my home. I grew up in the Midlands. And um, I actually used to watch Stephen Leopard's dad play football when I was a little boy in Columbia. Uh, and so uh, that's how old his dad is. And <clears throat> but, uh, but this is my home now, and, and I, love, uh, I love this place. I'm glad y'all are here. You're doing something extremely important in a place that very much needs it. Uh, it's easy to look at Greenville area, Greenville County especially, and say there's enough churches, there's too many churches, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, but th th still, the large majority of folks that live in this county are separated from Jesus. A uh, large majority of the folks that live in this county are not doing what we're doing this morning, which is gathering together, which the Scripture commands us to do as believers, to gather together, to hear the Word taught, to worship together, to enjoy fellowship. The, the majority of the folks that live here are not doing that. And so what you're doing matters. It's really important. So I want to just want to encourage you in that work to keep it up. Keep inviting folks. Uh, keep pushing forward for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel here in Greenville. Well, today I was thinking about uh, what, what I should teach on. As uh, Matthew asked me a few weeks ago, he told me that they were going to be coming back from this trip. And um, I was thinking about this time of year is uh, some of my favorite time of year as far as what's coming up is with the holidays. And my favorite holiday uh, is Thanksgiving. I like it the best because it feels like uh, all the good stuff you get at Christmas without all the stress and ridiculous parts where we overdo it. And so I really enjoy Thanksgiving. But the other thing that, that I thought about with that is, is that the Scripture has so much to say to us about Thanksgiving, about living a life of thankfulness. And, and when I evaluate myself when it comes to thankfulness, to just to be confessional to you, I haven't traditionally done a really good job when it comes to being thankful, and, and specifically when it comes to being thankful to other people. Uh, I can be a guy that has pretty high expectations for the folks around me, and so when they live up to those expectations, I think, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's your job. You, you should live like that, so I shouldn't have to thank you for that. I actually, when I was uh, the pastor of the church that I planted, uh, I was several years in, and someone started to bring this to my attention. And, of course, I did what most men do when someone brings a shortcoming to your attention. I said they were stupid and got very defensive. And then when I reflected on it some, I realized, oh, wait, they're right. And I actually had to apologize to staff members and say to them, hey, 
you know, you've been killing it. You've been doing a great job, and I've never told you thank you because my feeling was always that's what you're paid to do. I don't need to pat you on the back. You know, you're a big boy, that kind of a thing. And so I have not really done well in this area of thankfulness. Uh, I'm terrible at writing thank you notes, which is weird because I'm married to like the World Series champion of thank you note writing. My wife could teach a class on it. She's so good at it. And, but I would, I would imagine, uh, and I, maybe I'm just assuming something I don't want to project onto you, but I would imagine that if you were to evaluate yourself, maybe you're in that same boat, that in a lot of ways, uh, if you start to evaluate yourself, that, that maybe you haven't done really well in this area of thankfulness. Uh, it's just not something that has, has been a part of your life or something you've kind of overlooked. There was actually a, an article written in the New York Times two Julys ago where someone had done a, a survey about this area of thankfulness specifically in regards to thank you notes. And, and guess what? The large majority of people say they love to receive thank you notes. And the large majority of people also said they rarely write thank you notes, which I think brings us to this, to this reality that for most of us, and probably really for all of us if we admit it, is that being ungrateful is more natural for us than being thankful. It just comes more natural for us to, to be ungrateful. And, um, and there's a, a story that we're going to look at today from the book of Luke. So if you've, if you've got a Bible with you or if you've got a Bible app or something like that, we're going to be in Luke 17 that, that tells about this, uh, and it's a great story. It's, a, it's not a parable. You know, when you read in the New Testament, there are stories that Jesus told that were parables that, that may or may not have actually happened, and he's telling the stories to, to, uh, to make a point. But this is a story of something that actually happened in the life of Jesus. And it's in Luke 17, and I'm going to read through, we're going to read verses 11 through 19, and I'll just kind of stop and talk as we move through this story. So Luke 17, starting with verse 11, and it says this, while traveling to Jerusalem, he, the he there is Jesus, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. Now, just this doesn't have a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today, but just so you can understand what's going on here, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover, but, which was this big Jewish holiday, big Jewish tradition. But we know now, looking back on it, he was actually on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knew that at the time. He actually had predicted that several times. He would say things to his disciples like, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners, and he will be crucified, and on the third day he will rise again. He would lay it out. He was very, very clear about that. And so Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And it's interesting, it says he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. These were two geographic regions that did not get along. They were separated geographically, they were separated culturally, they were separated religiously. And there was a, a great deal of what you would, I guess, call racism or, or misunderstanding between the t- groups of people that lived in these two places, and that's the, the path Jesus is walking. And then it says in verse 12, as he entered a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, leprosy, which I'm sure all of you know even better than I do, leprosy is a disease. And it was a disease in this time 
uh, the, the time that this story was told, that no one really knew what caused it. They didn't know what spread it. Uh, they, they just, there was a lot of misunderstanding about the disease of leprosy. But one of the things that people did understand then is that when you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were going to either die from it or die with it. It was never going to go away. And so for these, for these guys to, to, to say to Jesus, it said that they raised their voices, they stood at a distance, or as we say here in the South, they hollered. So they're hollering at Jesus. He's over there. They, they don't approach him. Now, now, why didn't they approach Jesus? Well, there's several reasons for that. One of those is because Jesus was a teacher, or at that time they would have called him a rabbi. And it was illegal for someone who was diagnosed with leprosy to interact with a rabbi, to approach a rabbi and to talk to them. It was actually illegal for folks that were diagnosed with leprosy to interact with anyone who didn't have leprosy. Now, why is that? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, we're not going to do this today, but you can do this on your own as homework this afternoon. Uh, You can go read Leviticus chapter 13, and there is very detailed descriptions of skin diseases that if you had these skin diseases, leprosy being one of them, you would be determined to be ceremonially unclean, religiously unclean. And so these guys had leprosy. So, so they were religiously unclean. So, so understand what this means. It was a painful disease It was a disease there was no cure for. They were going to have it the rest of their lives. And then on top of all of that, not only were they suffering physically, they now were suffering spiritually because they were told, because of this disease, you can no longer have anything to do with the church. You can no longer have anything to do with your family. You can no longer have anything to do with society. You are an outcast. You cannot live with other folks anymore. So for them to even to, to holler at Jesus, to raise their voices from a distance was a big deal. And so what you have is you have 10 outcasts from society with no hope of being accepted unless Jesus performs a miracle in their life. That's the only hope they had. And so that's why it says in that verse that what they said to Jesus when they yelled at him from a distance, they said, have mercy on us. Because they knew that unless Jesus made a decision to to be merciful, to to go away from what society and culture would say is the norm, and to to interact with these outcasts, unless he chose to do that, there was no hope for them. They were begging that Jesus would have mercy. And then verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going... They were cleansed. Now, when we first hear that, go show yourselves to the priest, to me, that's in living in 2019, that's an odd thing for Jesus to say. And I'm thinking probably these guys were hoping he would say, you're healed. Or, y'all come on over here, and I'm going to touch you, and you're going to be healed. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't even approach them. He doesn't ask them to get any closer to him. He just says, go show yourselves to the priest. But here's why Jesus did that. In that time, remember, if you had leprosy, you were religiously unclean. In that time, to be declared religiously clean is you had to go let a priest inspect you. The priest would look over you and would say, the leprosy's gone. 
the skin disease is gone, whatever it is, and now you're now religiously clean. So Jesus was telling them, if you will have faith enough to go to the priests, when you get there, you will be cleansed. You will be healed. And we see that's exactly what happened in verse 14. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Now, part of, one of the things I love about this story is that you've got these 10 guys that were so desperate, and Jesus tells them something that seems to be counter to what should happen. He says to them, go do something illegal. Go to the priests. Go to the rabbis. And, and that's what I'm telling you to do. And they had enough faith to take Jesus at his word and to begin taking steps in that direction. And it says, I don't know if they took four steps and they were cleansed. I don't know if they were a mile away from the, from the priest. I don't know if they were 20 miles away. But on the way, it says, they were cleansed. So there's something really neat that happens here. The mercy and the action of Jesus combines with the faith of these guys that results in healing. And, and it's just a mystery of how Jesus does all that. And so you had guys that were experiencing pain, and now they're physically comforted. You had guys that were, had, that were outcasts, and now they can become members of the family because of what Jesus did. Now, let me take a, a quick time out here and just kind of summarize where we are in this story, because I don't want you to miss this. So you've got 10 men, through no fault of their own, understand, it's not like they grew up in a society with Surgeon General's warning saying, hey, don't do this or you'll get leprosy. They just, they just grew up and leprosy became a part of their lives. No, nothing that they did to deserve it, nothing that they, they did to, to, uh, to make it happen. And they've got this disease where there is no cure. And the result of this disease is they're now separated from everybody. So imagine being married and you can no longer... Get in bed at night with your husband or your wife. Imagine having children, and you can no longer have them come and sit in your lap or take them to school in the morning. Imagine being a place where you go to work every day, and it's, and it's important for you because it kind of gives you purpose in your life to know this is what I do. This is what I do to contribute to society, and you're told you can no longer do that anymore. Or imagine if it was you and, and you, you were diagnosed with this disease and you call Matthew and you say, you're not going to believe this, but I've been diagnosed with leprosy. And Matthew says, man, that's terrible. By the way, you can no longer come back to Origins anymore. And don't come to your, to your small group. And in fact, I'm blocking you on my phone because as the pastor, I can't, I can't risk being made unclean by you. That's the world that these guys lived in. Imagine that, and th th that you were diagnosed with this, this disease and you were no longer allowed to live in Greenville because that was in town. You had to go somewhere like Pickens and live over there, you know, with the, pick, the, with the people in Pickens. Who wants to live there? I know there's somebody here from Pickens, and uh, I'm sorry, but it, it's a terrible place. I'm glad you made it to Greenville. Uh, I was going to say Walhalla. I talked to a man here this morning. I found he was from Walhalla. But, but just imagine that that was your life. And so these guys were, were complete outcasts. And then Jesus, Jesus steps into their life, 
And, and because of his choice and because of his action, it says that they were cleansed. And so, and so what happened is now their separation is over. Now, now they can go home and they can, they can be with their husband. They can be with their wife. It, now that they, they, can, they can be with their children, they can go back to work. They can, they can go back to the temple. They can be reunited with the, the life that they had once had. And so when I think about that and I ask you to imagine if that's you, the question I would ask you is, if Jesus did that for you, what's the first thing you would do? What's the very first thing that you would do? Well, look at verse 15. We'll see what, what these guys did. But one of them, so while they were going, they were cleansed. Then verse 15, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? I like to think when I read this story that I'd be the one out of the ten, that I'd be the ten percent, that I would say, man, I got to this, this is unbelievable. I've got to go back and thank Jesus. But 90% of them didn't. What did they do? And it's easy for us to look at that 90% and say, man, how ungrateful were they? But maybe they went home. Chances are they realize, I'm cleansed. I haven't seen my wife in 20 years. She's probably married to somebody else by now <laughs> if she had anything at all going on in her life. But... Let's imagine she wasn't. You know, or they, they might have said, that I, I, can, I can go see my kids again, or I can, I can go see my grandkids, or, or I can go back to work. That all of a sudden, they had gotten their life back. They, they were once disease-riddled, and now they were cleansed. They were once outcasts, and now they're family members again. And so, so they, they might have gone home to do that. But I love that there was one of them that I'm sure he was going to do those things too, but before he did, he realized, I've got to be thankful for this, and I've got to go express thankfulness to the person who made this possible. When I was working on this message a while back, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and a guy comes in and he sits down and he's got his back to me so I can see the back of his shirt. And he's got this shirt and it says, five things you don't mess with. And it, it said in this order, family, flag, friends, faith. Anybody want to guess what the last F is? This one was the one that made me laugh. Firearms. I was like, amen, brother, you know. So I'm looking at that while I'm working on this message, and it just, it was funny to me because now I don't know who this guy was, and I don't know if that's the actual order for him, but it's interesting that family was above faith because for a lot of us, it's easy for us to elevate family to the point of something we worship, and family's great. I, I think God created the family, and and ordain the family to be a part of our life. But my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my parents, who I'm thankful to still have, my relationship with my mother and father-in-law, who are wonderful, that should never go above my relationship with Jesus. And what he has called me to do has to always come first. And I think for a lot of us, sometimes those F's that, that we do put family above faith, and I, I think sometimes people put flag above faith. Well, I'm an American, 
but I'm a Christian, but I'm an American first, you know, that kind of a deal. And we can't have that. And so what you see here is you had one guy who understood that true thankfulness is a response to the work of Jesus. True thankfulness is a response to the work of Jesus. I said at the beginning that being ungrateful, unfortunately for us, is more natural than being thankful. But what can overcome that is when we begin to understand what Jesus has done for us and that our thankfulness flows out of that. See, if, if, if you're going to truly be thankful, I, I don't even know all of you, but I know me. If we're going to truly be thankful, we can't muster that up within ourselves. We can't just decide, you know what, I'm going to be a thankful person. All that other stuff that I, I'm going to get up tomorrow, and from now on, I'm going to be thankful. I've told my wife, and I'm just going to be thankful. That might last for about 35 minutes or until something bad happens during the day. And then you begin to question and you begin to say, why is this happening to me and not happening to them? And, and I try harder than they do and all those kinds of things. But if our thankfulness flows out of, out of a response to the work of Jesus, it flows out of the miracle he's done for us, then we could be like the guy who came back because he realized I was disease-ridden and now I'm cleansed, I was an outcast, and now I'm a part of the family. See, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in the, in the book of Ephesians when he talked about what we should be thankful for. It says this, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the, at, in the disobedient. And then verse 12, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. So those verses Paul says to us, we were just like the 10 guys. We were disease ridden, but we weren't diseased with leprosy. We were diseased with sin. And, and just like the guys who had leprosy, there was nothing we could do about getting rid of it. And there was nothing we could do to avoid being riddled with the disease of sin. It was part of who we are. And, and, then, and then Paul says there that not only were we disease riddled with the disease of sin, he says we were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So we were outcasts. We were not members of the family. These 10 guys were disease riddled and outcasts. And because of the decision of Jesus and the work of Jesus, they went from disease riddled to cleanse, from outcasts to members of the family. And verse 13 of Ephesians 2, Paul says that this, Jesus did the same thing for us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Let me say that again, members of God's household. So we were, as human beings, carrying the disease of sin. No hope that we could get rid of it. We were going to die from it and we were going to die with it, just like the folks that had leprosy. But Jesus through his action 
of crucifixion on the cross and resurrection from the tomb made a way available to us that we could be cleansed from the disease of sin. We could go from being outcasts to members of not just a family, but his family, the family, the only family that matters. And so when these guys, nine of them, didn't respond to what Jesus did, they had let their circumstances around them get in the way of them recognizing that it's the work of Jesus that they should be thankful for, and we need to do the same thing. We need to live every day understanding that it's the work of Jesus that we should be thankful for. See, if our thankfulness is based on the saving work of Jesus, then it will be refreshed every day. One of the ways that I can be aware of how far I'm getting from reflecting on what Jesus has done for me on the cross is how ungrateful I am. So if I'm in a, if I'm in a period of ungratefulness and, and I'm just, everything that's going on, I think I deserve more and I deserve better and I'm jealous of what other people have and those kinds of things, those are the times when I recognize, guess what? I am, I am getting away from reflecting on the good that Jesus has done for me, the miracle that he's done in my heart. Because if I'm reflecting on that, if I'm aware of the cross, if I'm aware of the resurrection, then thankfulness should become natural and it should begin to flow out of me and who I am. You know, one of the things that's amazing to me about the work of the cross, what Jesus did for us, is that was, a, that was a fixed point in history. You understand that, right? There was, a, there was a time before Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, and then it happened, and then ever since then, we look back on it and know that, all right, that was a point in history where it happened. But unlike every other event in history, when it ended, the work of it still continues, so if you are a follower of Christ, if there has been a time in your life where you have acknowledged your sin and, and Christ has transformed your heart, given you a new heart, and you are now his follower, you are now his child, here's, here's the miracle, is that last night while you were asleep, when you were dreaming of whatever it was you were dreaming about, you were being made into the likeness and image of Jesus, even though you weren't thinking about it. See, I lived a long time in my life thinking that, okay, when I'm reading the Bible, then Jesus is transforming me. When I'm at church on Sunday morning singing these, these awesome songs that have good theology in them, then Jesus is transforming me. When I'm sitting across from someone who's, who's wiser than I am and they can, they can tell me some truths and that kind of stuff, or if I'm reading a book by an author that, that's good, then Jesus has transformed me. But here's the great thing. When, when I'm off doing my own thing and being stupid or when my mind is completely focused somewhere else, guess what? Jesus is still transforming me. There's a big fancy word for that called sanctification. And what sanctification means is that the, the fixed point in history of the cross, even though it was a fixed point in history, the power of that is still ongoing. And that's why we should be thankful. 
It's because of the work Jesus is doing in their heart. So, so this week, no matter what happens to me, if it goes the way I want it to, if it doesn't go the way I want it to, if, if something terrible happens and I have a wreck or, or you know, someone, me or someone I love is diagnosed with a disease or, or there's a death in my family, any of those things, that even though those things happen, my thankfulness should never cease to be because it's a response to the work of Jesus, not a response to my circumstances. So we, we can get so caught up in our circumstances and, and make our thankfulness based on that. And it's not. True thankfulness is not based on circumstances. I love in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. The important part of that verse is in Christ Jesus. If you're his follower that whatever is going on in your life is something you can be thankful for, the good and the bad. I had an opportunity in the last year to go to two funerals for two different women that lived into their 90s, uh, which is pretty, pretty amazing, right? One of them lived to be 91 years old, and she was a woman that I had known almost all of my life. Uh, grew up across the street from her. She actually had a son that we were buddies growing up and used to do stuff together. And when I went to her funeral, and we're going through the line, they had a reception at the end, and we're going through talking to the family. And it was amazing, that family, all of them, her kids, her, her uh, you know, uh, sons-in-law, daughters-in-law, her grandkids, great-grandkids, all of them would say something to this effect, talk about how wonderful she was, and then they would say, we are so thankful that we got her for 91 years. She was such a blessing to us. And then it was probably about a month later, I went to another funeral of a woman who lived to be 93. And this woman lived to be 93. She never spent a day in the hospital. The day before she died, she drove herself to the grocery store and drove herself home. And she just died in her sleep one night. So it was unexpected as much as the death of a 93-year-old person could be unexpected, right? And, And I went to her funeral and was talking to her kids. She had two sons and a daughter. And I'm going through the line. And at one point, I said to one of her adult children, we were talking about her and how great she was, and she was a wonderful woman. And I said, wow, she was, you know, she was, just the little bit of time I knew her, she was such a blessing. I said, I bet you were so thankful that you got to have her for, you know, your entire life, and and she was here for 93 years. (laughs) This adult child, I'll never forget, looked at me and said, you know, everybody keeps saying that, but it wasn't long enough. And I just thought the difference between these two responses to the exact same circumstances. See, if we're basing our thankfulness on circumstances, it'll never last. Because oftentimes, even the thing you want and you're most thankful for now, in about six months from now, it'll, be become, it'll become the thing that you're ungrateful for. I, I've known people that prayed and prayed to be married. It's more women than men. And, uh, you, know, you know, God, if I could just have a husband, I would be complete. And, and then they get a husband, and three years in, they're sitting in my office as their pastor saying, he doesn't do this, and he doesn't do this, and he's this, and he's this. I thought this is what you wanted. Or how many of you prayed and prayed for kids? I know we did. And then they turned 14. <laughs> it's like, who is this demon spawn living in my house where my child used to be? And if we, if we base our thankfulness on our circumstances, it never lasts, but our thankfulness should flow out 
of what Jesus has done for us. So the end of this story, verse 19, says this. So Jesus, they hollered at Jesus. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. On the way, they're cleansed. Only one returns. Jesus said, what's going on? Where are the other nine? And then it says this, verse 19. And he told him, Jesus told the one who came back, get up, go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened to the other nine. I don't believe that they were then again struck with leprosy. I don't think Jesus operates that way to say, hey, you came back. Those other dudes, they just got it again. And they're not here. I, I just don't think that's the way Jesus operates. Um, but here, here's what I do think is interesting is even though those nine were, were cleansed, only one of them, only one of them got to experience what it was like to have a face-to-face interaction with Jesus and really understand what it means to be a part of the family. And I don't want us, I don't want to live my life, and I don't want you to live your life in such a way that we go about our daily business and we allow our circumstances and we allow everything that's going on to stop us from going and being, having that thankful interaction on a daily, on a moment-by-moment basis with our Creator to say to Him, it's because of what you did for me that I'm thankful. This situation I'm going through is hard, but I, I am thankful because of the cross. I'm thankful because of the resurrection. I'm thankful because at one time I was disease-riddled with sin, and I've been made clean. At one time I was an outcast because of my sin, and now I'm a member of the family. I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and I just, I'll just challenge you to do two things in this area of thankfulness. One would be to think daily on the cross. I don't know how you would do that for you and your world. Maybe you have a commute, and as you get in the car every day, one of the first things you do is you just pray and say, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Help me to be aware of it today and the work of sanctification that you're doing in my heart. Think daily on the cross. And the second is thank others. Just become so thankful and thanking others that you get on their nerves. Just make that a daily part of your life. But understand, as you do that, the things you're doing are not making you more like Jesus. He's making you more like himself through his work, but it should flow out of us. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for this church. God, I I pray um, for everyone that's here and, and, uh, you know, some of these folks that have been here a long time and some are, are maybe new and I pray that they would understand that they're being used in a, an important and in a unique and a dynamic way in this community. Father, for myself and for all of us that are, that are your followers, I ask that you would help us to be just unbelievably aware of what we were without you and what we are now with you, that we were disease-riddled with the disease of sin, and now we've been made clean that we were outcasts, had no place where we belonged, and now we belong in your family. So, Father, we thank you more than anything for the work you did for us on the cross and for the defeat of death and sin through the resurrection. Help us to live our lives today, this week, next month, and next year out of gratefulness for the gift that you've given us. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.